Hi, I'm Michelle Peremsky with 180 Your Life, and I'm so excited to be on Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Learn how to team train triumph through loss because God has a purpose for your life. My hope is they would look at it and say, well, maybe maybe this is a lot more than I realize. Maybe the world does make sense from a biblical perspective and that I can trust what the Bible says, not only about Genesis, but about Jesus. Thank you to Michelle Peremsky for the introduction. Michelle has an amazing story of tragedy and triumph and has developed a comprehensive grief recovery program called 180 Your Life. And it's like none that I've ever seen before. To hear our conversation and find out more about 180 Your Life, go to onfaithsedge.com slash 80. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 80. Well, hello. Welcome to the 81st episode of On Faith Sedge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Today, we welcome the director and writer of the popular documentary, Is Genesis History, Thomas Purifoy Jr. Thomas is a filmmaker and an educator. He has produced, written, and directed numerous projects through his production company, Compass Cinema. He graduated from Vanderbilt University and has a degree in English and creative writing. He has books written on the parables, economics, and the Bible. Traveling across the continent, Thomas, with Dr. Dell Tackett, teams with experts in geology, biology, astronomy, archaeology, the Bible, and more. Together, they seek answers to long-standing questions surrounding the historical accuracy and dependability of the book of Genesis. In our conversation today, Thomas and I discuss the young earth versus old earth debate, and why does it really matter? If faith were removed from the discussion, does science still point to the historical accuracy of Genesis? Why the genealogical connection from Jesus to Adam is important as a historical fact, the historical importance of the Bible in science, and what we can expect from Is Genesis History. We came across this movie on Netflix uh, called Is Genesis History, and I called my wife Karen in, and, and we're watching this, and, and I'm like, this is going to make the Christian argument uh, for... At, at very least, the, the idea of creationism, the, 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 the concept that what Genesis says in the Bible is not just a story, it is, it is history. And so here's a documentary uh, with Del Tackett, that, Dr. Del Tackett, that says, uh, is Genesis history? And then no, no more than a week later, uh, I found out that Thomas was going to be here at ICRS talking about this movie. So welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks a lot. It's great to be here. There are two opposing theories on the age of the earth and creationism and evolution, even in the Christian world, mm -hmm. despite what the book of Genesis says, despite what the Bible says, let's talk about young earth versus old earth. Where does Genesis fall in your opinion on this argument? Well, I think it's interesting when you look at this. I think you bring up the right point. There are really two views here, but one of the things I realized early on is it's two views of history that a lot of people like to talk about science and talk about a lot of different areas. But when you look at this and actually look at the history actually of science and where these ideas came from, is that for the history of the church, even going back prior to the church, if you look at Josephus, the assumption always was that the Bible provided an accurate chronology 
of events that happened in the history of the earth. And so that's really what this is about, is that it's about saying what really happened in the past. And I think those are important things because everyone knows when you're dealing with history, you're dealing with time and duration and events and people. I mean, you can't, you take, jo- take George Washington out of the equation, just say he didn't exist, which changes everything. And so we all know that very small details have a huge effect on history. And so when you take that all the way back and apply it, well, let's just apply it to Jesus's life. If, you, if he doesn't raise Lazarus from the dead, if he didn't really change water to wine, if he didn't really rise from the dead himself, these are events that have a whole effect on the gospel, and even Paul picks this up. So when you extrapolate that back, Paul and Jesus and Peter, they all talk about Genesis as if it's a historical event. They talk about a global flood, Peter does. You got Paul talking about Adam as a real guy because he was the first man and Jesus was the last. He, you got Jesus talking about marriage, about Adam and Eve, saying they were married in the garden. If these events weren't history, well, then the Bible's not right. But but why why now? The, by the way, the the the, the movie's fantastic, uh, well done. But why now? These questions about about origins uh, and the opposing camps—they've been around for a long time. Is there any new information that 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 you're bringing to the table? Well, it's funny. I, I wouldn't say, though maybe there is some new information. I think the soft tissue in dinosaur, I find a lot of people are not aware of Mary Schweitzer's discovery in 2005 of the soft tissue. Um, and I'll bring that up in a minute. Um, meaning now Nature Magazine pointed out these are now common to find soft tissue in supposedly 65, 75 million year old fossils. Um, but what I would say is not, there's a, a lot of this isn't new because I think most Christians, and let's just say you're an evangelical Christian that holds the Bible to be an accurate book, they hold it to be history, they're a little beat up on it. They said, you know, you're stupid, these guys are loons, and there's a lot of ad hominem that goes after them. And I think they kind of keep their head down. And so as one of my friends, Tim Challies, pointed out, he said there's kind of a quiet majority of people that actually have read the Bible. They said it seems like it's talking about six days, seems like it's talking about a global flood, seems like that's what it's saying, and yet they don't feel comfortable talking about it because they don't realize, I think it's a lot like people that are been grown up poor and they don't actually realize there's an enormous amount of money in the bank. They just don't even know how to get to the account. So most Christians are so, and this is not just Christians, it's non-Christians as well. They really don't know the data. What is the three miles of sedimentary strata that sit above basically the pre-Cambrian layers that are filled with billions of fossils? How did they get there? Why are they so big? Why do they stretch across the entire continent? This is called the Phanerozoic. And I mean, these get these kind of complex names. People don't know the data. And so it's not new. It's really just a matter of looking at it from a biblical perspective. Does it matter, Thomas? Uh, does it matter from Because I want to ask you a question about taking faith out of it in just a minute. But to people of faith, Christians, what does it matter? What does it matter whether the, the earth is millions or billions of years old or 20,000 years old or 10,000 years old or whatever. Does it, does it matter? Well, what it is is of all the religions in the world, Christianity is a religion that is based on history. This is why the Apostles' Creed, if you think about it, is just a statement of historical events. I mean, that's all it is. It's a listing of it. Why in the world would that matter? I believe in this or I believe in that. I believe that Jesus was rose from the dead. If you notice, the first line, though, is that I believe in um, God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. It starts off like this. So the idea of time is that if there is an enormous amount of time, then it means the events recorded in the Bible are not accurate. So 
For instance, six-day creation and the order of those six days is totally different for the events that are talked about in the conventional timeline. Let's just take the creation of the Earth. If you follow the conventional timeline, then basically the Earth formed 4.5 billion years ago out of a cooling, a galactic cooling event from planetesimals. And those planetesimals you know, accrued, uh, uh, cohered together through gravitation, and basically the Earth was a molten ball for you know, billions of years in the Hadean period. And then it moves into the Archaean period, where basically it is slowly having oxygen issues. You see my point here. Four billion years of no life. Then you've got 500 million years of where life is either evolving or there are supposedly progressive creation events, none of which is talked about in the Bible. The problem is that you got a book like in Isaiah, he says, well, I created the world to be inhabited. I created it for people. Well, if he created it, all these comments in the Bible, you start looking in, it's not just Genesis 1 and 2. There's plenty of comments in the Bible saying that, well, I made the earth for man, time was made for man, and all these things are linked to it. If you start pulling the thread on one, it unravels the whole thing. And I mean, if you take away just, let's take away Adam. If Adam didn't really bring sin and death into the world, and as some old earth creationist will say, well, there's 500 million years of sin and death. Because uh, where did that come from? So you've got to create some other view of like, well, the fall of angels. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't kid you. This is actually the view. Uh, a guy like Gavin Ortland, I was, he wrote a review of the, of the film. He would hold to 500 million years of death. Well, where does that come from? Well, he's got to explain it from angels, the fall of angels. So you start getting into very curious views because most Christians don't realize when you change one thing, it has an effect on everything else. So it's hugely important what you believe about time matters to what you believe about the gospel. That's what, just look at Luke 3. Luke chapter 3 links all this together. You got the baptism of Jesus. God says, he's my only son. And what does Luke do? He goes into a genealogy and he links Jesus all the way back to Adam. What do you have in Luke 4? You have the temptation, which is a repeat of what Adam did in the garden. That's Everything fits. If you don't see all this as a bit of, of, of one whole history, None of it works. You know, that's a striking verse, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, because we can, we can piece together 2,000 years. We can piece together 2,000 years and say, well, here, here the, in this verse, they take from 2,000 years back all the way to the beginning of history, and they name the people. You would have thought if that was incorrect— Somebody somewhere would have said, no, that wasn't his great, great, great grandfather, or that wasn't his great grandfather. So that, that, that scripture is, is striking to this argument. When it comes to, if we can, I know it's difficult to do, but taking faith out of the equation, taking faith out of the equation, would you still hold, hold firm to this young earth side of the debate? You know, it's a really good question, and I think it, it's an interesting one. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's a very interesting section because it says, now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And then it moves on and says, by faith we know the universe, or in this case the original term was the ages, were formed by God, and that it was not formed from anything that we see. I would say that faith is necessary, not a faith that is post-Kierkegaardian in the sense of being a leap, but it's a fake that is wedded to a rational view that just as Peter and John say, hey, we saw this guy, he was dead, and he rose again. Peter says it, we saw him on the mountain. 
our view of faith is often detached somehow from history, and that is not the faith that basically the Bible teaches. It's what it's saying is that we may not have seen it. Think what he says to Thomas. Yeah, you're, you, you're touching my hands. You see it. But blessed are those who believe and who didn't see. But they were believing that it's actually a historical event. So history is the center of Christianity. And history is what faith is. It's not denying history. In fact, Paul says, if it is denying history, well, then we're fools. So I think this is an issue. The reason that the question is, is Genesis history is because all of our faith goes back to Genesis. And so in a sense, I don't think you really can approach it without faith, but it's not a fake that's non-thinking. It's a fake that is making a rational understanding of what really happened. You're, you're claiming that the Bible itself is less of a story of, let me see if I can word this correctly, less of a story of faith uh, and more of, a st- more of a historical record of what actually happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, so let's take Abraham's life. It's a great picture of this. Faith is bound up in trusting that, I mean, let's just go back to Adam, actually. If you look at what the fall was, is the fall basically questioned that what God said was true. And that's what, I mean, that's what Eve was doing, and Adam was doing the same thing. So as a result, they weren't trusting God's word. So if you follow it through with Abraham, who basically can't have any children, and God says, you're going to have kids, and you follow Abraham's life of faith, Faith is just trusting that what God said is true. So by the time he does have a kid, you know, and he, with Isaac, he's 100 years old, basically. That's 25 years of trusting that God's going to do something. So I would say the Bible is a picture, it's a history, really, of all these real people that trusted God at his word at various times in their lives. And that's all we're called to do, too, is say the word is accurate. You got to trust it. And you got to trust that God acted then, and he's going to act in our life today, and he's going to act in the future. In this case, he's going to act in the future with a judgment. And that's what's interesting. When you start looking at the world from a perspective of faith, when you look at a road cut and you drive by it, this isn't about just the Grand Canyon. In the United States, we've got road cuts everywhere. And you start looking at these layers of rock. If the world is ancient and old, all that is is a picture of epicontinental seas slowly moving, which really doesn't even make sense because they're not that right type of formation. But it looks at the picture of time. If there was a global flood, that is a picture of judgment. And that is a picture of judgment all around us every time you see. And anyone can drive by these road cuts and for mile after mile after mile, they are flat and they go on and on and on and on. What lays that kind of rock down? Certainly not anything in the present, not anything that we can see anywhere. And so when you start looking and realizing that, wait, there are layers of rock, the mega sequences identified by the conventional world. I mean, you know, Larry Sloss figured these out back in the 50s, these basically Sloss sequences, huge layers of rock that go from Canada to Arizona to New York. What lays that down? And there's lots of them, and they go up for miles. That looks a lot more like a global flood. That was a historical event. So when you, when you watch the movie, Is Genesis History, within, within the isolation of the movie itself, it all fits perfect. It really does. You make a great argument for Genesis being the, the days of creation being a historical fact. They spend a lot of time at the Grand Canyon, uh, a lot of time with well-known scientists or, or reputable scientists. If this is the case, why is there such a resistance 
in fact, your people people are Christians, people of faith, or or even people who are uh, not people of faith that take on this argument are laughed at. They're flat earthers. There are, you know, you can, you can, you can name it. Why is there such a resistant in the sci- resistance in the scientific community to even consider the, the, this concept? You know, I think it's interesting. Um, actually, I'll, I'll tell a story with this. Kurt Wise, one of our scientists, was studied under Stephen Jay Gould, who was one of the great evolutionists. And he had taken one of Steve Gould's views, and he was a creationist. And Steve Gould came up with an idea of punctuated equilibrium, which is that, you know, there's no, there aren't even gradual change in the fossil record. He recognized it, so he said there was these basically long equilibriums punctuated by sudden change. And Kurt goes to Steve one day, and he said Steve liked him because he knew he wasn't going to take his job. I mean, he's a creationist, and he's an evolutionist. So anyway, he said, I've taken your theory, and I've flipped it into a creationist model, and the data fits better. And Steve said, you may have done this, but I'm not going to go there. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. It's possible that the data fits what you just said, a creationist model better, which means then that, that all this strata and all these fossils came about from a global flood, which means then that the Bible is true and what it, the history it talks about, which means that it also talks about Jesus coming and rising again, which means that God's still around, which means he's still around and he's probably going to judge the world, and I'm not going to go there. So... I think that there is a realization that if you accept a view that the Bible teaches its history, it totally changes everything. There's hundreds of billions of dollars invested in science departments, in anthropology departments, in history departments, and all of the media textbooks all rely on this view of an ancient and enduring earth. Science shows if that is wrong, it totally changes everything. So this is not evenly not you can't even this has to be an ad hominem attack against these guys, even though they went to great schools and you start we just did a conference. I've got fifty hours of this material. The film is just a I mean, it's a highlight reel. We barely get into any of the data. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, it's just it's it's like watching a commercial. You gotta dig into the data, and this data is fascinating. Now, look, here's the thing. There are tons of things these guys don't know. There's tons of things no scientist knows. You cannot know the world, and this is the problem most Christians and non-Christians have. They view, quote, science as an authority, as an ultimate authority. It's not. Science has changed. You read books like, you know, Kuhn's book, Structure of Scientific Revolutions. He shows the history of science continually changes. If that's the case, it's not an ultimate authority. It's an authority, sure, but it can't tell us ultimate things. I would argue history is an ultimate authority, just like none of us can ever change our parents. We'll never change our grandparents, and we can be 100% sure we had parents and grandparents, which is why genealogies are always used in the Bible. History is the ultimate authority, and because what happened, happened. And so the result is that you may not, science is trying to understand how it happened. And these creation scientists have, I have theories, they may change, they have changed. They may change in the future, but what they all agree on is that, hey, there was a global flood. We may not understand how it happened, but we know that it happens. a lot of evidence. The Bible is reasonable, and history is what we base our faith on. There was an age where the scientific community, many of the, of the, of the best-known scientists were Christians. and had a Creationists. Christian, I mean, creationist. yeah, like Newton. He, yeah. he loved creationism. And, and so we, we can't ignore, we can't ignore Newton. And those other those other scientists uh, from history that had that held this that held this view. The problem is if 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 science accepts the idea of creationism, the idea of a young Earth, there's only one 
scientific document, one historical document that supports that theory. And that's the Bible. One, one. They're forced to look at that document now as a historical document and ask the question, what else does it say? And if one, once you flesh that out, we're hooped, man. Because, because like you said, there are billions of dollars wrapped up in this industry. Getting a scientist to change their paradigm is very difficult. And you may have alluded, alluded to this uh, before, but are there scientists that don't have a faith foundation that believe in this view? That's a really interesting question. You know, um, what we're seeing, well, two things here. Let's back up a second. When you talk about science, I want to point out something that David Berlinski said in his book, The Devil's Delusion. And he says, you know, no one's ever answered the name science. He said, you know, a lot of people take people about science says this and science, we personify it, but it'd be like for a Christian saying, you know, religion tells us that we have to do believer's baptism. And every Christian would say, what are you talking about? That's what Baptists think and other folks, but the Presbyterians don't and, you know, Methodists don't. And um, a Muslim would say, we don't even think you should baptize. So when people say religion says this, religion says that, you have to realize there are a lot of different ones. And that's the case in science. Science is a big group of scientists that think a lot of different things. And in every area, there may be what I would like call a a web of paradigmatic um, reliances, meaning an idea of an old earth would be that web of paradigmatic reliances. I have to rely on this. I have to rely on that. A great example was Kurt Wise going to Steve Gould, who said, you know, your whole view of everything, you're, you're relying on the physicists for their radioisotope dating. And he said, well, I know they're not wrong. <laughs> he said, but yeah, but everything relies on that. And you start pulling this thing, you realize it's a web of paradigmatic reliances, one on the other. But following what you're saying here about other are there other non-Christians looking at this? It's very interesting in the history of geology, and that's really where all this goes back to. Time is related to the rocks. Um, it started back with a guy named, you know, a lot of the geologists really were what were called catastrophists. They were, some of them were Christians, maybe they were liberal Christians, some were not. Guys like Cuvier out of France, he was a Huguenot, uh, Sedgwick, Murchison. These guys said that, look, you look at the earth, it seemed like there was a lot of catastrophes. Their view, they lost the day to guys like Hutton, who believed in long and old periods of slow changes that were continually moving and was introduced by a guy named, um, took Hutton's ideas, Charles Lyell, uniformitarianism, that the present is the key to the past. And what we see happening today is what's always happened. Well, it's interesting, in the 20th century, people began to look at the data again and say, you know, it looks like a lot of catastrophes. So you actually had the rebirth in the late 20th century of neo-catastrophism. These are not Christians, but if you read a book like Derek Ager's The Structure of Stratigraphical Sequences, I think a 1973 work, he had three editions, and it's interesting to actually read the editions. The first one, he says, well, people really kind of discounted me. By the time he's doing the, 90, the edition in the 90s, he's like, everyone's accepted this now. Um, he points out over and over again these very curious, huge geological catastrophes, but almost every chapter he'll say, I know it may seem like the flood, but that's a silly idea. And he'll bring this up consistently. I, when you read guys like um, Clarkson, his invertebrate paleontology, or you read Gould and uh, many of his books, he's a brilliant writers, and I really love reading the evolutionists' work. They're just some really great scientists. They will consistently say, yes, I know that people will say about young earth creationism, but that's crazy. 
Martin Rudwick, his book with on- no scientific <laughs> evidence to say it's crazy. Well, they, just they, because- they've got to say it's crazy, and they've got to say, "Well, we've demonstrated all this," but they have to. They have to. Martin Rudwick, his whole book on deep time and deep history. What does he put his appendix on? Creationism. And at the end, he even brings up, he says, I know that paradigmatically, and this is his last chapter, he says, I know that ideas change, and this question of deep time, we've had it for a long time, and it may, according to paradigmatic thinking, it should change, but I know it's not. I mean, he basically says this, knowing that, well, everything changes, so how can I be sure it's an authority? Well, I just am sure it is. So you see them positing the necessity of believing it, and then he finishes his last chapter saying, creationists are out on a limb, they don't have anything. And it reminds me a little bit of Hamlet, where I think it's the, uh, the I think it was the queen. He says, "Methinks the queen doth protest too much." That why are you protesting so much? If they're wrong, ignore them. Who cares? Because they're going to go away. And yet, as Todd Wood pointed out, why is it that we're underfunded, tiny, have nothing as scientists? They have no grants. They got no money. There's none of these guys. There's a tiny group of them, and yet they seem to continually make strides and discover more and more things. I would say it's because the truth is on their side. So take us through is Genesis history, the movie, the documentary uh, with uh, Dr. Dale Taggett. Uh, take us through the movie. What can we expect from the movie? Uh, what will we learn in the movie as a synopsis? Because we want people mm-hmm. to go see the movie or, or download on or get it from Netflix or wherever we're going to get it. Is The DVD is available, right? Yep, DVD is okay. available. It's, okay. it's all over now. So what can we expect uh, give us the high points of the movie. What can we expect from his Genesis history? So the movie, I mean, it's a, let's just be honest. The movie's a little bit of an albatross. Um, it's big. It's unusual. You got 13 scientists and scholars. It goes for about a hundred minutes. It's a, a lot of, a lot of talking heads in it in these locations. We really didn't expect it to do as well as it did, but I think what it does, is it sucks people into the data. It's a lot of data in it. So you got to go with expecting data. It's divided really into three sections, and the first part deals with the rocks. Well, it opens up and questions this idea of paradigm shifts. And so it presents very early on this idea, is there a two ways of looking at history, like you brought up early on. So, But then it moves into the rocks very quickly, because that's really what time is relies on. And we start really in the Grand Canyon. We move through and look at the text for a little bit, Hebrew Union College, but then get back into the rocks, talk about radioisotope dating and... and um, Flagstaff at SP Crater. We look at Sedona and some of the layers there, and then we move on to uh, talk about paleontology, the history of the Earth. Um, we look at the fossil record, and then end up at the, that section. Really, we segue into life talking about soft tissue and dinosaurs. And that's what's interesting. I mean, how do you have soft tissue in dinosaur bones? And that's what it was discovered really by Mary Schweitzer in 2005. She published, I think, in Nature magazine. It had been around. But as she herself said, and this is interesting, Schweitzer's a paleontologist but had some a background in histones and she knew blood. They open up this Tyrannosaurus rex femur and she's like, that looks like blood. So she tested it and sure enough, these were red blood cells. And then she began to find soft tissue. Well, she said the paradigm had been that this is so old, this can't have soft tissue in it. So when it came out, it became a huge deal. Like, well, that's not soft tissue. That's not right. You can't. So literally she was rejected out of hand because it's impossible. So she had to go demonstrate, yes, it didn't. It's changed it, and then it's quiet about it. I mean, people will come up with this idea of like, well, she's done some experiments with ostriches, putting them in, soaking them in iron ostrich um, vessels, trying to say, well, that can last. You're like, are you kidding me? This is in a lab. Everything that she, that she found was in the Hell Creek Formation, warm up, cool down, warm up, cool down for millions of years, often exposed to the elements with water. No, 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 no. That's just, it's impossible. And that's what we realize. We stop at that saying, look, there's all this other evidence but there are some very obvious things that you cannot reject 
soft tissue as a dating mechanism. We do it all the time in forensics. Soft tissue, we know how it works. In fact, it's crazy. It would have lasted four to 5,000 years. So we go from there and move into the world of, of life and the complexity of the genome, which really, I mean, you're right. This, it is so unbelievable when you look and see how our human genome works. Any genome. I mean, any, any living creature with DNA. I mean, you've got seven feet, uh, probably six to seven feet of three billion letters of DNA packed into the majority of our cells. How is that possible? And it moves and it changes and works. I mean, this is complexity of an order we have no idea. So we discuss that and talk about how really the complexity of the world, if you think about it, it all has to work together. And that complexity is what you really see in six-day creation. An engineer would tell you everything's got to be working. So slow processes, that's not how an engineer creates. An engineer puts it all together and turns it on and says, boom, you're going. And so all the pieces need to be there, which is what you see in six-day creation. It makes good sense. So we roll from there and talk about the uh, evolution itself and this question of that even evolutionists, even a Charles Darwin and others, they were identifying real things, but their explanation for it was not accurate. So they, were, they did some very good science, and a lot of evolutionists today are doing good science and identifying stuff. It's just the idea that it goes back to a common, basically a, a common ancestor. And this is one of the things we realize. You ask, why do we do this film now? There are groups like BioLogos that are trying to reintroduce theistic evolution in the church. They're calling it creationary evolution. What do they lose? You lose Adam. You can look at their website. They deny historical Adam. They deny a flood. And they're trying to say they are working very hard at convincing seminaries and pastors that, oh, yeah, evolution is totally compatible with the Bible. That's ridiculous. Everybody knows that you can't have millions of years of death and millions of years of humans evolving and have it fit with, you got to totally deny the text, which is what ends up happening. It's not a new idea. It goes back to Asa Gray with, you know, Darwin. This is not, none of this is new, but BioLogos is a dangerous operation that is, you know, they're they're very much trying to um, wolf in sheep's clothing, I would say, to encourage all these pastors. You can accept this stuff. It's going to be okay. And ultimately it's a cancer. And so that's one of the reasons we, we did this is just to warn Christians and say, look, you got a much better view if you take the Bible as history. It's going to fit the scientific evidence better, and it's going to actually fit the text a lot better. But then we finish up as we move along. We go through and talk about the stars. We talk about the archaeological record, and then we end up kind of pulling it all together and looking as a whole about some of the cultural manifestations. And that's, I think, is a big deal. If Adam and Eve were married in the garden— well, they were created to be male and female. Isn't it transgender? You can't have transgender. That's not what God made them. And that's why their chromosomes are that way. In fact, it's kind of funny. Bill Nye apparently has had to go back because he was talking about chromosomes and the importance of male and female about 20 years ago. And he's had to go back and say, well, I really didn't say that. And, you know, apparently there's a whole bit, it was a funny little deal where he was trying to cover up that he'd actually had said, talked about chromosomes. Because what happens is when you depart from the biblical view, it actually science starts to, the scientific view starts to become plastic. And we're going to change and say that men can become women and women can become men. That's not what Genesis says. So as a Christian, all of these current cultural issues have a backstop on Genesis. If you deny Genesis, it's an open door. If you want to stop, have issues of homosexuality, issues of adultery, issues of pornography and fornication, all this stuff, all the sexual issues that we deal with, they all go back to Genesis too. In Genesis 3. So that's just one example. The environmental movement. I mean, I could go on and on. The worldview things are a big, big deal, and they go back to Genesis. So I kind of went on a little bit, but that's kind of an overview of the film and what we're, what we're doing with it. How do you hope people are changed 
after watching is Genesis history? Uh, probably three ways. Um, first off, I, I want them to basically recognize that the Bible is a good book of history. I mean, that's a simple deal to say this book I've always been reading um, that people are telling me I'm a fool to think it's actually just history and actually really what happened. I think it's pretty reasonable. I can walk away, open up my Bible thinking, yeah, sure, I love it. Whether someone wants to dig into the science or they just kind of want to recognize and say, you know, I think it's, it's a credible book and move on to do, study whatever they want to study about it. You know, getting more important things like justification and, you know, sanctification and, you know, key day-to-day stuff. Um, but a second thing for those who do want to know more, I don't think they feel the comfort of saying there is a natural world and the history of that world that is so interesting that Christians should be involved in science and studying it and really bringing to bear how do you apply Genesis to the world? How do you, we in the film this way, you know, uh, looking at the world in light of Genesis, saying that nothing makes sense except in the light of Genesis. That's a second thing. Um, and I think the third thing is for those people who may be, you know, questioning their faith and saying, you know, where, why do I believe? Because it, let's be honest. I mean, I remember in my own life, um, I at a very young age was challenged that maybe if evolution is true, well, the Bible can't be. And this was in a high school when I was in 10th grade. And I remember researching this and thinking, you know, I'm not sure this is right. And you do begin to doubt your faith at times because I think the four great questions that are out there that philosophers often talk about, you know, where am I from? You know, what am I, you know, where am I, what am I made of? Where am I, what am I to do? Where am I going? Um, the four questions, where am I from and what am I are huge because they go back to origins. And so, and they influence all the other things like, what am I supposed to do? Well, can you have an abortion if you're, you know, made in God's image? What does that mean? Can you kill somebody? Um, and that rolls on. I struggled with those, I think, when I was in high school and em- realized, embraced that the Bible as a book of history answers all this. But that all came full circle when I was having a conversation with my 10-year-old daughter. And she started to ask questions about evolution more recently. And I realized nothing had changed. And that there really needed to be the ability to say that those people who say, well, maybe is the Bible really true? Why, if, it, if it's not true historically at the beginning, why would I hold it? I think those who are really on kind of the, on the fence about faith, my hope is they would look at it and say, well, maybe, maybe this is a lot more than I realize. Maybe the world does make sense from a biblical perspective and that I can trust what the Bible says, not only about Genesis, but about Jesus. And that realize that it's all a piece. It all either, it, it it's all stands or falls together. Thomas, can we talk a little bit about your faith? Absolutely. Personal faith. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, this goes back to my mom at five years old. So she taught me the Bible very old. Well, I was very young. Uh, so if I'm old now, but she, in very young years, taught me the Bible. And so I think I made a um, you know, saving profession when I was probably eight years old. Um, and so I've always trusted in the Bible uh, as a as a good book, but my mom was a she was a great lady. Uh, she died a number of years ago of cancer. Um, but what she always kind of had a little more of a simple faith um, was always wanting to learn more. And there were, I realized there was a period when you begin to realize that you surpass your parents and knowing mm-hmm. things about the Bible. It was a good point. I and mean, she would always sit and listen to classes I would teach in Sunday school. Um, but I would say that that my faith goes back really to her and to my father. Um, who at early ages taught me that the Bible was a trustable book and that as I got older and questioned it and then dug into it, I realized, yeah, they were right, that there are, you have to kind of go through a season in some cases to understand deeper about it, but you get to the other side, you're like, oh yeah, this is a very trustable book. So, so you became a Christian at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, during your research into, uh, into the his- history of the Bible 
and uh, the questioning of God. Did did you ever have a time where you where you sat back and you said, "Well, maybe there's not a God." Did you ever question the existence of God or or your faith in general? Doing during this project or during any time in my Just life, any part of your life, it would have been much earlier um, when I was probably a you know a kid um, in high school. I would think would be that would have been the time that I think that I remember reading a lot of. Um, I mean, I actually I used to get both sides of the equation. I got Richard Leakey and Bertrand Russell and their, their books on um, atheism and evolution, and I would pick up Henry Morris and C.S. Lewis and other folks on you know creation and and you know apologetics and really kind of weighed them. And I think that was a period in my life when I was a teenager that I did weigh: okay, is God really there? Is this really an accurate book? And so um, that would be the season. I think that if if any of the time, I think by the time I'd gotten to college, you get to a spot where you're like. And I think the Holy Spirit does that to you. There becomes not only are there external proofs, but there are internal evidences that they're really that, that that Jesus is walking alongside you and guiding you through things. And um, and so the personal relationship, when you take faith out of just simply an intellectual assent and realize that okay, this is what you you know somebody. And I think that was interesting. There's a it's like the idea of a story of like these girls that meet at a party. And they're talking about the the president, and they say, you know, I love the president. I think he's just great. I've I've learned so much about him. I'm I'm just a big fan. I studied him so much and so forth. And the other person says, yeah, I mean, I, he's great, and um, but he's my father, so I know him pretty well. And so it's a different. Well, there's a, there's one that has a knowledge about somebody, and then there is that personal knowledge of knowing somebody. And so the person that knows somebody, you can may know a lot about him, or you may not. There are, as what I think was Einstein's wife who said, I know how he likes his coffee. So she didn't, or how he likes his tea, I think is what it was. Um, she probably couldn't explain, you know, the general and special theories of relativity, but she knew him, and I think that's a good way we are with God, that our faith is more of a knowledge that it's, a, it's seeking understanding, um, and we may get to different spots in that understanding, but the faith is the same for all. Finally, as we, as we wrap up, Thomas, a significant part of our audience are non-believers. Uh, I hear from them all the time. Um, what would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge about to make that choice or, or weighing the evidence of the existence of God, whether or not to believe in God or not to believe in God? Well, I think that you, you really need to not make a decision based on proof. I think the idea that there is scientific proof one way or another for God is a silly idea because science is an empirical thing and that there's always going to be more things that we don't know. So um, I think that's the first thing. Science is not really of any help here one way or another. Um, I think that really what you're looking for is you have to go to what you know and say that, okay, do you know Christians that, believe, that truly know Jesus and um, – what is evidence in their life? Because really it's the church that Jesus has said is his body on, on earth. And granted, it's, it's kind of a screwy place. I mean, we all know that the church can be screwed up. And yet in the middle of it, there are solid believers that I think are the ones that, so if you were seeking faith, I think you need to find out a true believer who knows Jesus and then can guide you in that. Um, and then the source that a lot of people do this, you hear stories of people just going to the word of God. You go pick up the gospels and you read through them. And you realize that, okay, there's, a, there's some very interesting things. And there are things you don't understand. Here's a good point. We brought genealogies. Matthew has one genealogy of Jesus. Luke has another. And a lot of people look at that and say, well, is that a contradiction? 
until you dig in and say, well, actually, Matthew looks like he's given the royal genealogy, and he's structuring it three ways on 14s. And then it looks like Luke had access to temple records and is actually following a genealogy is nowhere else. But the temple had them, and they were destroyed in 70 AD. So it's probably the only record we have left of Jesus' real physical genealogy that goes to David in two different ways. Very interesting. Meaning that there are things that may seem like contradictions to the unbeliever until you dig deeper and say, well, actually, it's really me in my limited knowledge don't understand this. So I think that's important not to prejudge the Bible based on our limited understanding, which is pretty limited. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Thomas, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. The movie is is Genesis History, uh, available on DVD, available on Netflix. I highly, highly recommend this movie. Fantastic. Thank you for coming out, man. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. God bless, it. brother. The movie's website is isgenesishistory.com. That's isgenesishistory.com. These links, as well as all the other links, can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 81. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 81. Hey, if you want to support the show, I would really appreciate it if you would use the affiliate links found on the website at onfaithsedge.com. It helps keep things moving here and allows us to continue bringing you amazing stories of faith. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Thomas Purifoy Jr. for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to the show. Remember, God is real, He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. 